You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. I'm going to be in chapter 2, begin reading at verse 9, 9 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For he is the manifestation of all the fullness of divinity, living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart. Now all of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and removed from us. And it wasn't because of something good that we have done, but because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. For we have been buried with him, immersed into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. And through the divine authority of his cross, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, our shameful failure to keep his laws, he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. By the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph, He was not their prisoner. They were his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint this passage of scripture to our lives, to our minds, to our spirit, to our bodies. I pray, Father, and declare today, let us live in the word of the Lord. Let us live in fullness. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. I had two dreams this week, both rather interesting because they woke me up. They were, they were dreams where the Lord was speaking, and as he was speaking, I was somewhere in between sleep and listening, and he said, live in the prophetic word. And I thought, what? Live in the prophetic word. I think there's probably still some stirring, Mike, from your sharing last month, you know, of, of the prophetic word, you know, and, and the power of, of vision and the prophetic word. 
a lot of times I can get real confused and, and, and discouraged in trying to find vision, but I can live in the word of the Lord, in the prophetic word that he's speaking today. And as, as, as he spoke that to me, it just became real clear. You know, I, I love it when the presence of the Lord comes and whether, it's, whether you're in a dream state or whether you're awake, but when, when the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the word of the Lord comes, all of a sudden things that never made sense start to make sense and they start to connect. And that's what Paul is talking about earlier in this chapter, chapter two of Colossians. He's talking about the riches that we have in Christ and, and the unveiling of Christ in us and the hidden treasures and how we search for those and how, how we find those. And as we find those, we come into a, a greater awareness of who he is. And when the, the more clearly we see who he is, the more we get an understanding of who we are. So we had the cross Ed Fence made the, made the cross and, and it, had a droopy, it had a droopy arm to it. And so uh, Mike Jessup took it and re-glued it and got it all spiffed over. And so we've got it back. And I thought, man, what a great way to start off 2017, looking at the power of the cross. And so this passage later in chapter two is so amazing. It talks about fullness first. In verse 9, he says, for he is the manifestation of all the fullness of divinity living in human form. Okay, when you see Jesus, you see what it is to be God in a human being's body. You, you see what that completeness, that, that fullness of divinity looks like. And it's our own completeness. We find it in him. And so the, the treasures, the riches, the, the wealth that's ours and the unveiling of Christ inside of us, the more we see the living Christ in us, the more we're aware of the fullness of Godhead. How much God can, can live in a human body? All of it. All of it. Yet we've been deceived, haven't we? We've been deceived like, you know, we segment our life and this, this is sacred and this is secular. And so when, when we go off and we, we do this activity and that activity and the other activity, we divide it as, as though somehow God's not involved in that when he actually desires to be involved in everything that you think, feel, and do. He wants to be involved in everything. Mm. So the first, the first two verses just is talking about the fullness. He's the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Okay? To me, the way Paul is presenting this, it's kind of like he takes all my excuses away from me. But, you know, I'm not real smart. But uh, I, I'm a, a white boy and I can't jump. You know, uh, but, uh, you know, I don't have hair. Uh, you know, I've got limitations and restrictions. And all of a sudden we find out if you have the fullness of Christ living in you, you have the one who has absolute authority. He's the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. That means you've got access to a resource that is way beyond your power to make excuses. Ooh. 
Ooh. Really? Hmm. Then he talks about the heart of circumcising, the circumcised heart. He says, it's through our union with him that we have experienced circumcision of heart. I love that. I remember as a little kid reading circumcision, I had to go to somebody and say, what is circumcision? Didn't understand, what does that big word mean? And yeah, and it's like, and when I heard the definition, I thought, man, this Bible is a beastly book. This is crazy. But it's a cutting off. It's a cutting off. And, and look, how, look how it's translated in the Passion. Now all of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and removed from us. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and removed from us. All. All. Okay. It wasn't because of something good that we have done, but because of what Christ the Anointed One has accomplished for us. Man, if somebody would have told me this when I was a teenager, how much energy would I have saved trying to cut off myself, all my bad stuff? Anybody in, in, go through that? You know, where you, you're just trying to be, get better and better, and you're just trying to cut off and cut off and get rid of this bad habit and that bad habit and, and try not to say a four-letter word this week and, you know, just try to, you know, really, really... Jeepers. It's what Christ has accomplished for us that takes away the guilt and the power of sin in us. So he goes on, and as Paul develops this, we get fullness... And then we see that there's the supernatural cutting away of the things in our heart. A lot of times, I don't think the enemy really cares if you concentrate on some external behavior that you're trying to, to improve upon, long as you don't allow there to be a circumcision of the heart. The heart is, is the key where all this stuff flows from. And that's why when Jesus was getting caught in, in the Pharisees and, and, and all the, the religious ritual debates about washing before you eat, hands, cups, clean, you know, dishes and all that kind of stuff. He says, you know, it, it's what comes out of the mouth that comes from the heart that defiles us. It's not eating or drinking with yesterday's dishes. Hmm. Yeah. So he, he, he takes it further and he says, for we have been buried with him, immersed into his death. Have you ever thought of that, immersed into his death? What a statement. Usually when I get and I identify with the sufferings of his death, I like to read that real quick and get on to the power of his resurrection. You know, I, I but here... Paul is, is talking about we are immersed in his death. The death that he died, we get so fully identified because he's inside of us. 
that it becomes our death. Our baptism into death also means that we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. That's why you're not a Christian if you can, if you can give some kind of intellectual assent to a doctrinal statement. It has to do with whether or not you believe that Jesus on the third day was raised from the dead. See, and I never quite understood that, but this passage really makes it clear. Because if you don't believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you're not born again. You may be Christian by philosophy, but you're not Christian by birth. And the birth is, 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 is born through what we believe. And so when we believe that Jesus was raised, resurrected from the dead, wow, that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is what frees us from death's realm. Because we're so identified with the death of Jesus, then the resurrection, the power that raised him from the dead. And this is how it describes it. This realm of death describes our former state for we were held in sin's grasp. You know, sin had us. Sin absolutely had us until Jesus came, until he died. But now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive. We are forever forgiven of all our sins. We are forever alive, forever forgiven. Wow. Now this is what I call 2017 Jim Coleman passage. Verse 14. And through the divine authority of his cross, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul, and our shameful failure to keep his laws. He deleted it. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Now here's, here's your verbs. He canceled, he erased, and he deleted. Hmm. He canceled every violation He canceled the arrest warrant that was still out for you. Hmm. He erased our sins. Anybody glad that their sins are erased? Is that is that is that good news? I remember a friend of Deverne's that that moved in an apostolic. Uh, function in, in the body of Christ. And he had several churches that he was kind of father of. And as I was having lunch with him, he, he was talking about there's this church on the East Coast that he loves to go and visit. He says, they were all drug addicts, prostitutes. They were out in the street. They were in crime. They were just, and when he goes there, they are still rejoicing that they're forgiven. 
They're still rejoicing that God saved them from a life of sin. They're so excited that their sins are forgiven. He says, every time I go there, I just can't get over the joy that is released because they know that they are forgiven. I thought, wow, that's cool. A lot of times for me, it's been, oh, that's old news. You know, we're trying to get holy over here. And we didn't have much joy in trying to get holy. We had more frustration, more guilt, more condemnation, and we lost the joy of our sins being forgiven. And so as we're, we're trying to be holy, we're trying to be superior than, than the ones that are just thankful that their sins are forgiven. We've done that, got the t-shirt, we, we, we're, we got that checked off. But in our process, we never had any joy. I thought, oh Lord, may we be reminded of who we are, of all that you've forgiven us, of all that you're doing for us, and that we're not looking to be holy in our self-improvement program, but we're looking to be in union with you and discover the, the unmeasurable glory of union, oneness, of fellowship with you. I like that. That's good preaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can't be retrieved. They can't be retrieved. I love that. I love that. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross, nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. You know, and when I, when I think of the cross and, and, and think of taking and realizing that my sin has been absolutely forgiven and canceled and it's nailed to the cross, the first thing I think is, well, I don't want it nailed to the cross. Then people walk by, they'll see what my sins are. Oh, and I'm too proud to have anybody see what my sins are. But is that just silly or what? They're on public display to show how loving and merciful and how great and glorious he is. And to demonstrate the power of the cross that takes all our sin, all our shame, all our guilt. It has the power to forgive. What Jesus did upon the cross, his death and his resurrection, just just eludes away from the old and in with the new. The full measure of resurrected life. I don't think any of us have have reached our full potential, but we're in process. Let's try to reach as full as we can be today and believe that tomorrow there's even greater fullness. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Do you believe that? That tells me that that the gospel is so complete and so powerful that it's only our ignorance of the gospel 
that sets us up to be an easy target of the evil one. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the father of lies, and he will constantly lie to us. If we don't know what we have in the cross, what we have in headship with Jesus, what we have in the resurrection, with the resurrected life in Christ, then the enemy can come and get us to think. And that's where temptation gets its power. Temptation gets its power when we believe that the enemy is stronger than the kingdom of God. Hmm. I, I've shared this already a couple times and I, 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 ha, I still can't get it all fully developed. But one of the things that you know, seems to be a, a, an issue among the church today is, is this whole thing of self-control. We got, we got belief, we, we, we got doctrine, we believe the right things and we have some experience and we have some measure of, of, of experiencing Christ in our hearts but we get stuck. We get stuck over and over again. We don't realize the power of the cross. When the enemy comes and gets us to agree with our circumstances and with what we sense, then we're still looking to ourself for our power and for our ability to, to get over something. Mm. But when we realize it's Christ in us who's the hope of glory, Christ in us who's been unveiled, he's already defeated the enemy once and for all. All we have to do is, is allow him to live in us and it changes everything. I had a time... And, and, and you heard my story when, when I got the heart of Christ and I got a new heart and things changed. And that was amazing. I've had several encounters where there's, there's been upgrades where in a dream the Lord shows me something and, and with that revelation it changes my reality. And, and the, the one that I'm still processing was when I, when I realized... A, a, a devotional writer was talking and they were talking about Christ as he was going through the beating and the suffering and the bleeding and, and the agony of just getting to Golgotha, getting to the hillside where the cross, where he was crucified and then the crucifixion itself and, and the nails and the spear and the hours of torment hanging from the cross and realizing at any point Jesus could have called on the angels to rescue him. He had that ability and he knew it. He could, he could exercise his will and be rescued at any moment of that. You know, that's why they're getting ready to stone him earlier in the gospel and, and they're at the hillside in Luke and they're ready to push him off the cliff and throw the rocks on him and he just walks right through. Why? He knows who he is and he knows who has authority over him. And so as he goes through all the suffering of the cross, he has such love and commitment to the father that he will not forego the plan that is set before him. He takes the cup, he drinks the cup. He has such self-control 
such self-control in the, in the midst of such agony that he's able to maintain control and not call for the angels. That just blows me away. When I saw that, and I, all of a sudden I realized, that's whose heart's living inside of me. That's the Christ who's unveiled and living in me. He has the power in the midst of the worst suffering a human being could have and still not exercise anything but the Father's will and maintain self-control through all of that. I've got access to more power and self-control through Christ living in me than I ever could have with my ability to jack up my will power and grit my teeth and try to figure out how not to do something. Hmm. It's on the cross. The cross represents to me now something of the control of Jesus Christ, his self-control, the fruit of fellowship with the Father and the Spirit that he had such an intimate union with that there's no amount of pain that could make him thwart the plan of God. Hmm. Now that's powerful. By the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. The principalities and powers. If he really disarmed them, what gives them such power? We do. Adam is the one who empowered Satan to begin with by turning over the keys of the kingdom to the evil one. And so do we. Christ has won it back. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. He's broken the power and the authority of the kingdom of darkness. And we have to just receive and believe and allow Christ to live in us the hope of glory. This is frustrating because this is too good a news for us to just hear and say, oh, that was a good sermon. <laughs> and this is power, powerful. It changes all of life. It deals with our addictions. It deals with our giving ourselves the break and say, well, that's just the way the Francis's are. We're always rude and critical. You know, that's just the way our family is. That's not the way my family was. <laughs> Using that as an, you know, all the different things. It, it really sets us up to thrive in the union and oneness with, with Jesus Christ. And so that's how I try to set the ball up today. I'm trying to throw a nice slow pitch in for everybody to hit a home run. As we come to the table of the Lord, the body and the blood that was given for you. Let the Holy Spirit take that and work within you a power and an authority and a, an ability to engage and believe in the greatness of our God. Live in the prophetic word this year. Live in the word of the Lord. However he brings it to you, 
through the written word, through a word of prophecy that when you hear it, your spirit leaps within and you know that this is God speaking to you, live within the prophetic word and we will have vision. We will have a vision of him like we've never seen. So Father, thank you for your love. As we come to your table, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do for us uh, some holy ambushes. I pray, Father, for everyone that just thinks that religiously we're going to go through uh, our communion time and come up and get uh, a wafer and a cup. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, you, you get them in the crosshairs and ambush them with the Father's love and revelation. I pray that you release a prophetic word to them, that you give them something that they had not in any way anticipated today. They thought, well, let's go, let's go on January 1st because it's the thing we should do. They're having church. Yes. And you didn't know that it was a divine appointment yes. that God had on his calendar because he wanted to pour out his love on you. Yes. He wanted to pour out his life on you. So, Father, I pray that the, the elements become full of authority and power and active and energized by your presence and your glory. And that as we ingest them, they explode inside of us, releasing fullness, fullness in Jesus' name. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all mankind. So let the power of the gospel be manifested in Jesus' name. And as you come today and receive, if the Lord gives you a word for someone else, I just invite you to be obedient to that word. Use the whole auditorium as your your place of worship. You may have a testimony that you want to share today. Uh, I've asked Brenda Nortrip to share a testimony. So after communion, you'll want to hear her testimony, what the Lord was doing. And uh, if the Lord has given you something, maybe it's a word of thanksgiving and praise, feel free. God bless you as you come. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.